With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. She is the co-host of the Betting Academy's Hoops Edition podcast with Kendrick Perkins. We now welcome Gina Paradiso onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Gina? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Nice pronunciation on the last name as well. <laughs> no problem. <Good. laughs> um, it's so, a tongue twister for some people. I that's one of the most nerve-wracking parts of doing the show is pronouncing somebody's last names. The interview's the easy parts, but it's the last names I make sure I try to get it right. Um, I, I want to ask you, we have all of our guests. Um, when did you first fall in love with the game of basketball? When did it kind of like you saw your first game or your first interaction being on a court that kind of you know I made you like, hey, I'm going to be a fan of this <laughs> for the rest of my life. So it's a good question. I I know exactly where I was. I'm a little fuzzy on the year, but I could probably, you know, I, I don't know why I haven't done this already, but I could, I could certainly just go back in time and, and figure it out for, for once and for all. But I was watching the NBA finals. It was the Houston Rockets. Let me, let me think about it. I, I, I was in high school. So this is maybe like 95, 96, could have been 94. Could have been 97-ish. Anyway, Houston Rockets, they dominated there for a minute in, in, in those years. But Houston was in the finals. I remember, you know, exactly the house I was in and, and the couch that I was sitting on watching the finals and just glued to the TV like I had never been before. And, and you know, as a high school uh, student athlete, I played basketball myself. I was going to go on to college and play basketball and, you know, thought, you know, at that time, I don't, I, at that time, the WNBA was, was just starting to become a thing. So we had the ABL and I never, I never expected to play pro, but I always thought basketball could certainly, you know, get me a free education, which it did. And, and so I was into basketball and I was into the sneaker culture for sure of basketball. Uh, you know, I, I, I rocked the, the Gary Payton's, the gloves with the zipper. Of course, I rocked the, um, the, the Kobe's when he was with Adidas, the, the KB8s. I think they call them crazy eights now and they only retro them. Of course, I, I rocked the Concords, right? The Air Jordan, the 11s. Um, and, and many others. Those are, I, I remember rocking, you know, Jason Kidd's shoes, Penny Hardaway's shoes, of course, the Air Moores and Scottie Pippen's shoes. So I was always into basketball, but the NBA, um, that was sort of the moment that I remember just being hooked. And it was, you know, I, I grew up in California. So I was a, you know, my family spit, split on the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. Um, and at the time, the, you know, the Kings were, were a lot better than the Warriors were for a lot of those years. But I remember the finals, just getting a chance to watch the Houston Rockets and just becoming, I don't know, glued to my TV. My friends would, would call like Friday, Thursday night. Hey, you want to go out? No, I wanted to stay in and just watch the finals. And it was that moment. Like I said, I remember the house uh, I, I was renting. We were renting at the time and the couch I was sitting on. I remember the color of it. I remember the whole makeup of the room and how I was glued to that television. So I would say that was the moment for, somewhere in the in the mid 90s uh, when I was in high school. Gotcha. And I know this is, this might be a long question, but I guess from that first time that basketball and the NBA caught your attention to now, what are some things that have remained that you like? And what are things that you've seen through the evolution of the game that 
you might have questioned or might have, especially since you have a very extensive career within the game of basketball in terms of talking to um, several NBA players, your, your um, time at ESPN as well. Just, I guess what I'm asking is, have you seen anything that's maybe ruined what you've, you know, first thought when you first saw, you know, the NBA at that time you were alluding to, or has it enhanced it? Have you felt the opposite where you fell more in love with the game, just being more involved with just the, the, the NBA and just the game of basketball as a whole? Yeah, the latter, the game has grown and, and been enhanced and gotten so much better. I mean, you know, I, I think the only thing that you could argue about the NBA that hasn't gotten better are the sneakers. And I, and I don't mean to say that the sneakers now aren't good, but Air Jordan, the ones, I mean, has any sneaker ever, will any sneaker ever rival what, what Jordan and, and the ones and maybe even through the 11s and the 12s? So for a good, you know, decade plus, um, I don't know that we've had a run in sneakers like that. Le- Kobe and LeBron James certainly uh, could, you can make those arguments. I, I don't think they, they even compare at all, but that's probably the only thing that maybe hasn't gotten better. And I, and I say that I don't, it's, it's not a disc because sneakers are, are really dope now, but like I said, it was just such a high bar uh, with those, with the shattered backboards and the band and on all the, all the sneakers that you even the Concords and just Jordan shoes that we grew up with. Right. Um, and now all the retros and just what they've been able to do. Um, but I think the NBA has gotten better. You know, I'm not one of those uh, purists sort of, you know, get off my lawn that the, the NBA is soft now and can't touch anyone. And there's, you know, too many free throws being taken or, you know, James Harden is ruining the, ruining the game. And I don't really do all the usage and the metrics and all that stuff, PER and, and, and those things either. I think the game is beautiful. I think it's, 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 it's totally a different game. It's certainly more offensive than it, than it was, you know, back even in the nineties when I was watching those tough Houston and Detroit teams and, you know, Bulls teams, jazz teams, um, you know, more defensive minded. We had lower scoring games. Um, you know, Steph Curry has changed this game. He's one of he's my favorite player, uh, you know, you know, one of my favorite players of all time and a guy that I think doesn't get enough credit for, you know, evolving this game single-handedly. Um, but I love the game now. I loved it then. I, I love it more now just because I'm older, maybe more skin in the game now. You could, you could bet on it now. Um, but, you know, just, yeah, the, the work I've done and, and, you know, being able to work so closely with so many NBA athletes, the players, the way they care about their communities um, is, is different. The way LeBron James steps up and, you know, puts the, uh, the weight of the NBA on his shoulders and Chris Paul does it and so many others do it and so many speak out against things that they know are wrong. And, you know, back in Michael Jordan's era, we didn't have as much of that maybe, right? Um, so I just think in so many ways the NBA has improved and I can't wait to see where it's going. And, and I'm, you know, I'm just a huge fan of it, more, more so today than I, than I ever was. Gina, I wanted to ask you, you've had a, a fascinating career arc. I mean, you've, you've gotten to do a lot of different things with your career. How did you get started with ESPN? And can you just kind of take us on that journey? Like, what did you uh, major in in college? And, and kind of how did you work your way to ESPN and, and to where you are now? Yeah, I, um, you know, like I said, basketball got me a, got me a free education, which is nice. Um, I majored in mass communications, media studies. I actually went to a small liberal, liberal arts school and they were even able to like give me a, a sports communication focus, right? Um, that's to say that I, I didn't need my degree at all to do the job that I do now. I'm not telling kids not to go to college, certainly. Um, but, you know, 
for me, I went to college because it was an opportunity to play sports longer uh, before we, you know, get into the real world and then have to retire, right? Because we're not going to go pro. Um, so that was that was my biggest thing. Also, you know, college is, is a wonderful thing, but for the career that I ended up jumping into, had I maybe just gone to Bristol, Connecticut as a PA at for ESPN, like in '98 or '99, uh, I, I sometimes think, damn, I, I wonder where I could have been at that company today. Um, there's a lot of other factors and there's one being that, you know, maybe they don't elevate women as they should there. So there are, there are certainly other factors to think about, but it's, you know, something to think about. Um, but I was like a late, late bloomer. I loved sports growing up. I played sports growing up at, at a high level. And then I, it just never dawned on me that I could work in sports. It just didn't seem like something you could do. I was like, well, I guess I'll, you know, go to graduate school, law school, or I don't know, like medical school, what, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta do something noble. Right. Um, and so uh, it, it, it dawned on me when I was in Los Angeles, I was bartending uh, and I was, I was, you know, in this city, especially downtown where, you know, Staples Center had, had gone, had gone up and been up and it was, you know, becoming this amazing thing. Uh, the ESPN LA production center that is there now right across from Staples and LA live was, was just being built. It wasn't even there yet. There was a lot of sports radio, Fox sports and other entities that were, that had ascended downtown LA at the time that I was there. I was bartending. It was strategic that I was there, but I didn't necessarily know what kind of job I was going to get from being in those circles. And then it dawned on me, uh, early on, just being around everyone in this community, um, who, who were involved and interested in sports and sports media that this would, you know, maybe be my path and my route. So, um, yeah, I, I met the right people, of course, you know, you know, put yourself in the right positions, the right circles, meet the right people, a little bit of luck, obviously a good amount of timing. And, um, you know, I was able to to take a job back east in New York, um, half New York, half Connecticut, working for the ESPYs, which was, you know, at the time, an ESPN in-house that had just moved out of house. Uh, so we were centered in New York City, and it was just a wonderful way to start a career in sports right out of the gate. Um, I have a question for you, Gina. Um, just through ESPN's coverage of the NBA and WNBA, I think personally, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to be like a huge turning point that took place when the pandemic hit, particularly with the WNBA in terms of the coverage that was on that network. And not only that, but seeing like, you know, Maria Taylor being the the host, the single host of NBA Countdown and um, Rachel Nichols being, you know, obvious, I think it's the most popular NBA show on ESPN, The Jump. How have you think the network has changed overall in terms of their coverage? Because I think ESPN has gone through tons of changes in regards to how they present the NBA. And now it seems like they're finally hitting their stride. I feel like they finally got, you know, with Kendrick Perkins and Jalen Rose. Um, and I mentioned the other hosts as well. Do you think that the coverage is finally at a level where it can remain stable uh, for years to come compared to like, uh, you know, like the TNT, like we've seen them be around for years. Do you think finally they have the right recipe to, I guess, keep the coverage consistent all the way through? NBA coverage or WNBA coverage? Um, I would say, basketball? I would say, yeah, the NBA and also the WNBA too, just because from the, the bubble, just watching it, I, I noticed there's a lot more just pieces on the players during like halftime as opposed to just regular WNBA games in which you just, it is basically be the games and, and that's it. I think now there's a lot more 
effort into pushing the stories of each, you know, the WNBA draft was the other day and just seeing that the coverage I, I thought was fantastic compared to other years. So I guess my question is, do, do you, is, has there been a turning point at the network in terms of how they present, I guess, both leagues, because considering how many, how many times it's changed over the years, you think? Well, totally different answers because their coverage of the NBA is, is this way and their coverage of the W and women's basketball is this way. So I'll, I'll break it up into two questions because sure. I, I can't answer it uh, truthfully with one umbrella question. Sure. The coverage of, of NBA at ESPN, of course, stems from the broadcast deal, which is um, up in four years. So we'll see. Um, I'm assuming they can they can re-up and, and you know Turner and ESPN can – um, retain NBA rights. I imagine they will, but but we'll see, right? So the next four years will be really interesting at ESPN as, you know, you, you have the jump that is part of that agreement. So to have an NBA daily show on ESPN, like you said, it's so popular. Rachel is the best. The, you, you've got Hall of Famers and, and NBA champions sitting next to her. Um, so that's been a huge turning point, certainly for ESPN. You know, I think it's, it's all focused on talent. Um, TNT has always had the better talent. They've always had the Charles Barkley's and the Shaquille O'Neal's, the Dwayne Wade's. I guess we'll see what happens to Dwayne now that he's a part owner of the Jazz. I wonder if he'll still be doing much broadcast. But you know, even Candace Parker, you get Draymond Green sitting in that chair a lot of the time. Um, Ernie, Kenny. Um, so ESPN sort of always been playing catch up, right, to try to get the right chemistry, especially um, as as they talk NBA. But but certainly the jump has been the thing that has done that. They've consistently consistently been Rachel since 2016 when we launched um you know Tracy McGrady was was of those early days and, and Paul Pierce you know was of those early days and now you you see Kendrick Perkins and Matt Barnes and Richard Jefferson and um these are all amazing uh you know media personalities and former players um and, and good good guys in general that you want to have on your show um so I think in that regard, what the jump is doing is spectacular. Um, I think they're offering something that, that the ESPN needs to continue to do, and hopefully they will even in four years. Um, NBA Countdown has, has almost always been hosted by a woman. I mean, you, you think back to, to Sage Steele, Doris Burke, Michelle Beadle, um, Maria Taylor. So it, it, Rachel Nichols has hosted NBA Countdown. So that's that's amazing of them as well to to keep having women host from that chair on such a big platform. You know, great job ESPN. I won't get too enthusiastic, but 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 well done. Um, but so yeah, the NBA coverage is is there for the taking. I mean, whenever you have a broadcast deal and you have games, you're gonna be be really well positioned. But what they've been able to do with the jump, what Rachel has been able to do with the jump and her team. Um, has, I think, really put them on the map in terms of having that steady, consistent, credible um, NBA voice. Um, and I think, you know, it's hard to compare apples to oranges. Uh, inside the NBA is a, a post-game show, right? I mean, they, they sometimes they do pre, they all, they always are there at halftime, but the, the post-game show is really why people are tuning in and, and watching, you know, an hour after the game has ended. Whereas NBA Countdown is a pre-game show, so it's different. Sometimes they do halftime, sometimes it's Scott Van Pelt now. He also, you know, does the post game, so it's different. It's a different vibe, and and then the jump is a daily show in the middle of the afternoon. So, to to compare those things to what inside the NBA is, I think is unfair. Uh, but obviously, a great barometer. Hard to catch those guys and what they're doing at Turner. You know, shout out Tara August and everyone there. Um, on the women's side, I think they've got a long way to go. I think the draft should have been in person. I, I don't think that's ESPN's fault. Maybe it's something the WNBA should have done. We've had in person drafts since coronavirus and they, they could have maybe spent the money and done it and given that opportunity to these women 
Um, it's really hard to make a WNBA team. There's only 144 spots. Sue Bird is still playing and Diana Taurasi is still playing and they haven't, they're not looking to retire anytime soon. So it's really hard. You got to fight just to make it, even if you're a first round pick in the WNBA. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you look at what Cheney has been able to do, executive producing documentaries from the bubble. You look at what Sue Bird's been able to do. She started her own media company to tell more stories and, and get more, you know, interest in, in women's sports and the coverage. But I think those things are being fed to ESPN. I don't know that ESPN's the initiator. I think that's the problem. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And, and Matt knows I've been <laughs> on Matt's case because I've complained about ESPN's coverage of the WNBA for years, just in terms of, you know, this is you have an agreement with this this league and yet with ESPN, I've seen better coverage of leagues that they don't have any financial ties to like the UFC years ago. And like they hated mixed martial arts and yet they're doing interviews with them. And yet here's, they have an agreement with the WNBA and their coverage is abysmal <laughs> in my opinion, in, in years past. So believe me, I, I've been, I was quite upset <laughs> um, to say the least, but I think at least now I've seen some strides being made. So I think that's a positive. I agree with you. It is a long way to go. I just think to have that equivalency to, what the coverage is of the, the men's game, I think they be they would go a long ways in helping themselves out in terms of just boosting the ratings of the WNBA if they were to present the same coverage. Because I think having it you know equal to their other sports would I think get the viewers excited about the players that are participating because it's just been irritating seeing some of the comment the um, host of Sports Center just presented WNBA highlights. And just the way that they're saying it, it's not with the same enthusiasm compared to any other sport. So that's always been a beef personally with me in terms of just getting assignment into the league. So um, that's that's always been a kind of a, a thing of mine. Um, just shifting gears, Gina, um, I want to focus on what you said about sneakers. And we've had a couple of different people on that are, you know, we consider sneaker experts, Jock Slade, who's a YouTube um, kind of personality on sneakers and John Gotti, who writes for complex. And I just want to ask you, they said that getting sneakers nowadays is super difficult with bots and just, it just seems like a, a massive struggle. I have a buddy of mine who's really into sneakers and yet it's kind of ruined it. So in your experience, it has really technology kind of ruined just the sneaker culture overall and trying to get, you know, anything that's appealing. That's the next pair of sneakers, because I saw um, Nike put out a Bruce Lee inspired um, sneaker set and it looked pretty cool. But I mean, they were sold out instantly. There's just no chance for just an like, average person to get it. So in your experience now, do you think like bots and technologies kind of ruin that nowadays? I, I don't because you just got to be a little more resourceful. Um, but you said John Gotti, and that's amazing. I always forget that there is a John Gotti in the speaker world, because um, in the sneaker sneaker world. Sorry, because it's just I'm, I'm Italian. I always revert back to mafia names and, and yeah. all these things. But <laughs> yeah, I like you said John Gotti. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. Um, but yeah, I think like look like you know there are so many resellers out there. Um, and, and legit ones, right? Verifiable, authentic ones. Um, you know, you have the sneakers app, which definitely bogs down and you've got Goat and you've got StockX and Network and so many others. But you also have, you know, resellers probably in your local towns and cities, depending on where you live, um, internationally and domestically that you can go to and you can buy sneakers and get the sneakers you want. You probably 
have a friend of a friend of a friend who smells who who sells sneakers, and this is probably a person who waits in those long lines on the sneaker apps virtually or in person once they open that back up, gets these sneakers, buys them in as many bulk you know as, as many as they're allowed, and then resells them. So I think there's always ways. I think you know we if we're in the sneaker game, we know enough people in the sneaker game who know someone who knows someone who knows someone who has a has a bunch of sneakers that are authentic. Um, that that can be verified as such, and that you can get your hands on for a pretty penny, of course. Um, I think it just depends on how long you want to wait. Do you want to deal with, like you said, the app, the technology, the virtual waiting line, and uh, dealing with some of the heartbreak that that people feel when they when they take an L and, and they don't get the, the sneakers they want. Um, but somebody got the sneakers, so there's always a way to get the sneakers you want if you can figure out those people who who actually did take take a W on that day and got them. And you can go maybe, you know, work something out to get them from them. So I don't think it's harder. I think, I mean, sure, I think it's probably frustrating. And I think it's probably, you know, brands are being smart. They're, they're you know, uh, producing less amounts to make this, like, feel very exclusive. Kanye really ushered that in, right? So you only make 100 sneakers or 500 sneakers and, and just drive this whole thing up. But that makes it cool. And that makes it fun. And that, that keep, keeps people peaked and interested and chasing it down. And that's sort of the fun of of sneakers is, is the, the 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 you're trying to conquer something right you're you're a conqueror like pj tucker i mean he he's so patient he he wait years to get the you know the oregon the jordans the unc the ducks whatever sneaker he wants that's forty thousand dollars or whatever dj Khaled's only got you know he's got one pair and there's only three on the planet and so if you got the money patience definitely um, but I even think for, for civilians, uh, like the rest of us, there are ins and outs and ways you can just be very resourceful and find the sneakers you want through word of mouth and social networking for sure. Um, social media is, is really a good way to do it if you don't want to wait on the long lines in the apps. And I don't, I, I'm with you. I, I never get my sneakers from a sneaker app. I rarely buy my sneakers, uh, with, with the, with the markups from even like a goat or a stock X sometimes. But for the most part, I try to, to take some back channels and find someone who might, know of where I can get the sneaker I want in my size. You got to pay a little more for it, but that's okay. Gina, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts quickly. It's It's been... Um kind of topical since late February, really. Uh, and we've talked about it quite a bit on the show about NBA Top Shot. What are your thoughts on Top Shot? Do you kind of see it as a as a viable kind of future entity for the NBA moving forward and potentially for the WNBA? Um, and do you kind of buy Top Shot, you know, over the traditional like trading cards and things like that? I don't. I I. I get it, but like, I don't get it. You know what I mean? I, I understand NFT and blockchain and, and I get it, but what are you going to do? Like, like crypto art and some of these, these digital moments, uh, like especially top shot. Um, what are you going to do? Like when you have your friends come over, like pull out your iPad and like show them your, your top shots and like loop it or some, maybe Apple someday will, will build us a 65 inch, uh, iPad and we can just mount it on the wall. And so like art, when people come into the house, you guys check out my Vince Carter dunk in the Olympics, you know, or whatever, like check out my Blake Griffin over Kendrick Perkins. Like who cares? You know what I mean? Like art hangs on your wall and it appreciates. I, I think top shots appreciate. I'm not an expert by any means. I know that there there's value, especially if you can spend six figures and hold on to it at least a year just to get yourself free and clear of, of tax of paying taxes on it. Um, so I know there's value, but I just wonder, especially with like an NBA top shot, like who really owns it? There's rights and clearances and licensing. Like 
do you really own it? I know there's a blockchain. I know there's, I know there are things, right? I get it, but I just, it's not for me. Um, Trading cards are really cool. Like, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties when we had baseball cards and tops and, you know, whatever it was. And now there's Panini and you could just trade cards. It was fun. It was like trading Nintendo cartridges, right? Like you would beat like balloon, balloon fight and then trade it to your friend for Super Mario three or whatever. Like, that's cool. I like having like a, a tangible thing. I don't think that's like an old school thing about me. I just think that is something like a sneaker a sneaker, by the way, which depreciates as soon as you put them on your feet. So keep them in your plastic cases and keep them clean and mint. But a trading card, same thing, slap, slap that into, you know, the fiberglass and hold on to it and something you could pass down to your, your children, right? Especially, you know, by then people are going to be like, what is this handheld thing that you have? What is this hard copy? It kind of makes it, I think, pretty cool. Um, but the top shot of it, I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't know. I, I, you know, will it be around? I, I don't think so. You know, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Bitcoin and crypto, I know it's coming, but Top Shot specifically, I don't think so. If I had to invest in something right now and put my money into something right now in, a, in an industry that I thought was going to grow exponentially, you know, let's say by the year 2025, it would be sports betting. It would be, you know, sports books. And as they start to legalize in all 50 states, like the Fandles and DraftKings, I think that's where I'd invest in companies that are in those lanes versus but you know, top shot type of uh, digital digital collectible, not really not really my thing. Gotcha. That's interesting because even though I feel like Top Shot hasn't reached its full popularity yet, I feel there's a lot of enthusiasm. So it's, it's good to speak to somebody who is not really enthusiastic about it. And you're more looking for like the regular trading cards of things. I want to talk to you about that, specifically when the pandemic hit, because it seemed like there was a huge boom in just the, the trading cards industry itself, um, just on YouTube and then on social media. Um, is it just a point of just because people didn't have things to do? So they want to stretch trading cards? Or do you think there's something more tangible there when things do get back to normal um the trading card market still is going to be pretty hot because um that's when i first before nba top shot was a thing it was i believe the kobe card went for i think i forgot how much but an unbelievable amount of money but it just seems like that industry blew up during the pandemic so i'm just wondering do you think that has legs past when things kind of get back to normal you think yeah i mean i hope so things that blew up during the pandemic audio right and podcasting uh zooms uh right peloton tonal uh you know trading cards certainly uh disney plus i mean yeah i mean i think all of these things have legs beyond just the pandemic because they sort of cycled themselves back into our lives right like like i said i I played with you know trading cards and actually played physical games with them used to I, i grew up in hawaii for a short amount of time and you um could put a trading card like diagonal up against like the gutter where you know the wall meets the ground and line them up across the wall. And then you had like a couple of trading cards and you wrapped them in like black masking tape. And there was this game where you threw them at the trading cards and kind of like Jack, like if you could knock over as many cards or whatever, you got to keep those now. And so we used to play this game and come back and, you know, it was like Christmas, like what card did I get? Check it out. And like, oh, this is a Jose Canseco, like rookie year. Like I'm putting this one under my mattress, you know, type of stuff. So I think it's cool. It's nostalgic. It brings me back anyway to when I was a kid. So I think there's something really cool about trading cards. I also think there's something really cool about content surrounding trading cards and, you know, antique roadshow or Anthony Bourdain style. I want to travel to the farthest places in the universe, in the the world, and, and go to, you know, remote places and find people who have these crazy exclusive rare cards and do content surrounding that. That's very interesting. 
Um, I, I don't know how you do that with Top Shot. You know what I mean? But to go and travel and find someone in, in Laos who has like a, you know, a one of one LeBron because they unboxed it. You got, got lucky or whatever. Maybe they didn't even unbox it. They don't even know what they're sitting on. Um, I just think that stuff's kind of cool. Just to have an actual physical proof of concept uh, is very exciting. And, and content surrounding that, I'm, I'm very happy. That's what I think is going to blow up. You've got trading cards. Now let's start seeing shows about trading cards and content and series about trading cards, I think is sort of the next wave. And I think it definitely has legs. Gina, I want to ask you about sports betting. And this is something that I've had limited experience about, but it's always very compelling. And now you're seeing even um, major networks start to bring that into the fold of their sports coverage. So for somebody that is like a novice, that's like, okay, you see all these numbers. Um, you're like, what is going on here? Plus this negative that just like kind of confused. Can you kind of school somebody in terms of, Hey, I want to get into betting on the NBA. You know, I'm, I want to make some money. I'm a really like the NBA and all those players. So kind of want to have a little bit more stakes to the game besides just watching as a fan. What would you recommend them doing? Like what steps, steps would you recommend them taking? Um, just kind of get their, their feet wet. Yeah, it's tough, right? And, and part of what Perk and I do uh, for the Betting Academy, our, our podcast, there's also an actual embodiment of the Betting Academy, which is an educational tool, like a resource under, um, you know, an umbrella company. It's called Gaming Society. And what we do is, um, and I'm a, I'm a founder there, Perks, an investor there. What we do is is exactly kind of if you think about what Robin Hood um, does in the stock market, right? Like teach people how to be day traders. Um, or if you think of like a Motley Fool, right? Like an editorial content site, also a, a, a research and development, also academia. Like let's arm people who are interested in this space uh, with the tools and the resources so that they can have confidence and they can go out there and try to make some money. And, and when, uh, what you said is exactly right. Like when you go on FanDuel or DraftKings or William Hill or whatever, or even if you walk into a sports book in a casino, right, you're in Vegas or Atlantic City or whatever, or New Orleans, a very good casino there, um, you're confused. You see, yeah, like you said, there's arrows and plus minus signs and you're like the spread. So they're plus seven, but that doesn't mean they're the favorites. That actually means they're the underdogs. Okay, I'm getting it. And then, you know, you look at these numbers, pluses and fractions, and you're like, how did that become that? And then how do you do the math? And what is this? What are you actually betting on? And how much do I have to wager to actually make a profit? And so on and so forth. So it's super confusing. And that's, I think, what, um, you know, is sort of going on in the industry, right? There's, let's say, 200 million sports fans in the U.S., 15 million of them know how to gamble. They know how to bet on sports. They're, they're experts, let's call them the cousin Sal's, the Bill Simmons, right? The Stanford Steve's of the world. And those are, you know, just people we see on TV, but there's so many uh, super, super skilled sports bettors and odds makers out there. The other 185 million sports fans in the U S would totally bet on sports if they had more knowledge and, and if they were less intimidated and if it were more accessible and if they had more confidence um, because they're sports fans. And like you said, the, you, you definitely want to have skin in the game, especially if it's a sport like maybe golf, like, okay, it's not my favorite sport, but I just got into betting on golf. And now I have all of these um, player props and, and bets in, and now I can root for my guy and it makes it fun. And I watch it for four days and I'm glued to it. Um, and it, and it certainly changes the experience. So that's sort of what gaming society and the betting Academy do. That's what perk. And I try to do on the podcast. Like perk is really big on um, betting on first halves, like in the NBA, 
I look at some, I look at player props, like, especially when you see a guy like Steph Curry, who's had seven, eight games straight where he scored 30 or more points. That's a trend, right? Like as a fan, you understand that. And so maybe you're looking at his next game and you're like, all right, they're playing the Cavs. I think, I think Steph's going to score more than 26 and a half points. Let's say that's what Fandle set the, the total at. I, I think I, I feel confident that he could do that. I'm going to put some money on that. And, and, and Mike Perk will, will tell you, he likes to bet on the first half spread um, makes, makes a good deal. Very successful doing so versus game spread because a lot could happen in the second half. And now, you know, there's more urgency and uh, buzzer beaters and fouls and free throws and last second um, coaching strategies and, you know, timeouts and things, things change in the second half when the game is on the line. First half though, you tend to get like a little different vibe. Some, some teams are rusty. Some teams are balling out that, that trend maybe changes in the second half. So Perk likes to bet on first halves. I think that's like a, a very interesting strategy and there are so many others, but that's really what it is. It's just information and education. You know, just when someone breaks down to you how to, if you look at Fortnite by yourself, you're like, I'm never going to understand this. But if someone, even like your kid brother is like, okay, let me take you through it. Here's how you, you do Fortnite, right? It's the same thing in sports betting. So if you have someone sort of hold your hand, show you the ropes, show you a couple cool strategies, but also just give you the basic information. Let's define spread. Let's define total. Let's understand what, what the favorite and the underdog is and by how much, and let's understand why. Let's look at injury reports. Let's look at load management, health and safety protocols. COVID has changed a lot of things, including how much defense teams are playing this year, zero. So you look at the total, maybe you want to take the over because teams just aren't playing defense. And so maybe you expect the team to score more, you know, two, the two teams combined to score 240 points versus 230. So little things like that, just understanding all the factors. And then of course, you know, you gotta, you gotta be comfortable and confident, just like if you walked into a casino to, to play blackjack, you know, you, you probably wouldn't do that unless you were super drunk, uh, without any idea how to play the game, especially when you're sitting with people who do play the game, you don't want to look like an idiot. You want to understand the book and how to play it. And so that's important. Um, we're trying to normalize that and, and make it easier for people, more accessible, give them information so that they can go on Fandle and place confident bets and hopefully make some money. That's so awesome. Just um, as a, a more kind of specific question, do you find that... You know, I've, I've heard people say in terms of sports betting, like, don't bet on basketball unless you're crazy, <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think you can be successful at it, you know, depending on, like you said, like kind of your knowledge level and confidence that you can have in certain things with basketball and the NBA in particular, I guess, would you say that there's like this time of year specifically, we're after the all-star break, we're kind of lining up seeds in the playoffs as we go in the NBA season. Is this a more volatile time to bet because of teams that might be tanking, th things like that, that we might not, um, you know, certainly not intentional in, in those types of things, but you just don't know. And also this season in particular with, COVID guidelines, confounding factors like that, has it has it been any more um, volatile of a season to do sports betting compared to years past? So I guess that's kind of a two-part question there. Not for me, but I understand the concern. And I, and I also understand, you know, football, you can't score a point without scoring six. So, you know what I mean? Like the increments of how many points you can score in football, right? You can score three, you can score two, you can score three you can score six and then you can get one or two more after that. But like, so 
I get it because in basketball, it's just point, point, two point, three point. You know, it's just so back and forth. It's tough. There's there's a lot a lot more margin for, uh, let's say, you to lose to the house, right? Um, may, maybe, maybe you believe that. Not everyone believes that, but I understand the concern. Um, I think a good way to think about it is there's always going to be something. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be weather, you know, like in, like in college football, you play outdoors, whatever it is, there's going to be uh, partying the night before in South beach. There's going to be things, right. There's going to be suspensions and, and all kinds of things that, that can happen to athletes um, in sports. So as a sports better, specifically in the NBA and specifically this year, maybe you just pick your poisons. Like, like maybe you don't bet on the full, the game total, but um, you've had a little more success betting on the first half, right? And that's why I think Perk does it, especially more so this year than ever. So I've followed that guideline and I've, I've had more success this year than I've ever had in years past. Maybe you look at player props, you know, like, like we said, you look at a trend like Russell Westbrook, you know, recording a triple double. That shit just happens like all the time, it seems like. So maybe that's your bet. Steph Curry scoring 30 plus. Steph Curry hitting 10 plus threes. He did it three times this past week, three times in a week. Um, so, you know, there are, there are trends you can bet on. It's just like roulette. Like when you walk up to the roulette table and you're superstitious and you're, you know, scraping your chips around and you're looking up at the screen and you see black has hit seven times. Are you going to put your money on black right there? Or are you going to bet against it and think it's going to hit red now because it's hit seven times on black no way it'll hit again right like you you size it up the same way in sports betting so you just gotta pick your poison like I said you know I think the thing that people say is that take the under you'll you'll win more money you'll be more successful that's that's probably true like historically right take the under this year in the NBA however no one's playing defense Guys are sitting out, um, you know, awards matter to guys. You don't think Jokic and Embiid and even Steph Curry want to, want to win MVP and will do everything they can night in and night out to put up big numbers individually. So think of individual props. Think of teams running up scores because no one's playing defense, right? Think about who's sitting. If Kawhi is sitting or Miles Turner is sitting or Rudy Gobert is sitting, these are defensive, elite defensive players. So the team they're playing Maybe I'm taking the over. You don't have an elite defender in there. And already we know everyone else isn't playing defense. Probably going to get a lot of buckets in this game. So I just think you um, – and those are the nuances that you learn as you, as you go through it and you have someone helping you do that. I wouldn't know any of this shit if it weren't for Perk. Cousin Sal has been a, a great mentor, and he's a, he's a partner of ours with the podcast as well as the company. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't know any of these things without people who have been there and are experts, and I think that's what we lean on when we're, when we're looking to get into it. Gina, um, last question, and I will let you go. Um, as we head to the home stretch and um, towards the playoffs, it's, it's going to be a, a new frontier, sort of speak. With um, I, you know, we had to play in tournament in the bubble, and now you have to play in tournament. You know, with actually teams going on the road. So, how do you think that's going to affect <clears throat> betting? You think, and overall, just enjoyment in terms of just watching the playoffs overall. Um, is that something that's exciting to you? Something that's like a, a bummer? Um, where do you come out on it? It's super exciting. Playing is the best thing that the NBA has done. I mean, it's it's so fun. I understand that teams like the Grizzlies, the Spurs, the uh, the Mavericks, um, 
they have, t- they have really brutal schedules looking ahead because of all the rescheduled games and the COVID protocols. And now you got to make up a bunch of games and play a bunch of three and fours or five and sevens. It is tough. I understand how tough it is. We're seeing guys get injured. We hope Donovan Mitchell's, you know, okay, but we saw Jamal Murray go down. Those things happen in years where there isn't uh, COVID and, and it seems that they're happening this year as well. And, and at the very least, I'm sure that COVID and, and some of these things have something to do with it. Um, although it's, it's it's really hard to trace it back to a single factor, right? But sure, like the play-in is so important and so exciting. And I know some of the guys, Luca, don't want to play in it. Well, then handle your business and get, get a one through six seed. Um, Luca was, you know, when the season started, the favorite to be MVP. He's, he's not even in the conversation, in my mind, not even in the conversation. Like, handle your business, Luca. You're the MVP of this league, supposedly. And you could have had your team sitting one through six. And now you're not. You might have to play in. It is what it is. It's amazing for us. I know it's tough on the players, but it's amazing for us to get to see this excitement look like AD, LeBron, chilling because they're, they're, they're ready for this play-in and for this long playoff stretch. We know how exciting it's going to be. The fact that guys have been load managing and sitting out all throughout, that's how exciting play-in and the NBA playoffs are going to be. So I think it's, I just think it's great. I think it's amazing. It's been tough, sir. Like, betting without LeBron, right? And uh, betting, you know, some of these injuries and like you guys mentioned, the health and safety protocol. Sure, it's a little tougher. Um, playoffs, though, are going to get interesting. I think as you eliminate teams, as you eliminate bad teams, and you now have teams really with a sense of urgency trying to win a championship, betting gets more fun. And I think hopefully for everyone, you can be a bit more successful because like I said, you've got really good teams still playing. Um, who are trying to win a championship? They're giving it, it their all. There's no, they're not taking days off now. So I actually think it's it's even more an exciting time for betters and just for the the, the viewers. Well, Gina, we really enjoyed the chat. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and also what else you're up to um, for the rest of this year. Yeah, for sure. I'm at Gina Parody, so across all socials, it's super easy. The the last name is easy to remember. It's like the word paradise, except just put an O at the end instead of the E. And it's actually a cognate in Italian. It, that's exactly what it means is paradise. Um, so I'm at Gina Parody. So Perk and I, Kendrick Perkins, do the Betting Academy Hoops Edition podcast in conjunction with Cousin Sal and Mush Media. Uh, FanDuel is our sponsor. We're on Apple and Spotify under the Money Grab banner um, or anywhere you get podcasts. We also actually started um, simulcasting our podcast on Twitter Spaces. So anytime we record, anytime we tape our podcast, we're also going to give it to you live and show you our scene on Twitter Spaces. We've been doing that. I think we're on our fourth one coming up, and it's been a lot of fun. We've been growing. You know, people get to come on and ask Perk a question. Uh, so you know, go 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 toe to toe with the big fellow, which is always fun. Um, so for me, that's that's sort of what I'm what I'm doing for the rest of the year. Um, uh, professionally uh and then you know i also do a bunch of other stuff i i book and monetize and, and do a lot of different podcasts a lot of different audio social audio stuff and work for a few different really cool um clients out there in the marketplace and um you know i have a lot of fun doing it but check out the pot especially if you if you want to uh play some bets as we get into nba playoffs here um it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna ramp up and perk has great advice i'm telling you perk goes like he bats like 750 every night, at least. Like sometimes this guy's batting a thousand from the plate. It's crazy to see how well he does and how on point he is. To have the the experience of playing in the NBA for 14 years and winning a championship, um, for being in locker rooms and and playing for coaches and understanding strategy 
and philosophy and process, and then also having an interest in sports betting, which is rare for athletes because they're not allowed to, to bet on sports while, you know, while they're playing. Uh, he's a rarity. So if you, if you ever get a chance to check out Perk whenever he's talking about sports betting, I, 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 you should. He's really good. He's great. So check him out at the Betting Academy Hoops Edition. Thanks, Gina, for appearing on the show. We really enjoyed the chat. We're happy to have you on again in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it.